Hey, this is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience podcast. Our bodies have basic needs, food, exercise, and sleep. Ironically, these are still some of our biggest challenges, what to eat, when to eat, which exercise works right for my body and age. Well, where do you turn to for advice? I turn to Alyssa Sheely. Alyssa is a competitive bodybuilder and a certified public trainer through the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Alyssa explains how tech and getting personal has been a massive paradigm shift for her and her clients. Join us for the conversation on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on earth today is data. How we make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Three, two, one. Alyssa Sheely on the QTS Experience. Hey, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So I'm pretty stoked to get you on here because as you can tell, one fitness expert to the other, um, we got in a conversation, it's been a few weeks, but about um, your bodybuilding. And I didn't know you were a bodybuilder and you were, you were doing this competition and this whole conversation went on. I was like, I don't know anything about that world. And I m made a casual mention to you. And while you talked about bodybuilding, you dove into nutrition, then you blew your my mind with how you also use social networking and apps. And I was like, okay, stop, time out, you've got to come on the program. So thank you for coming on the program. So why don't you introduce yourself? Yeah, my name is Alyssa Sheely. Um, I work for QTS. So I'm the social media strategist at QTS. Um, I am a certified personal trainer. I got certified in 2019. Um, I'm an online coach, nutrition and fitness coach. I love doing that. I just started doing that about a year ago. Um, I, but yeah, I went to school for marketing and communications. So that's kind of how I ended up at QTS on the marketing team. Um, but coaching is just coaching and bodybuilding and all of that um, is new for me. It's something that in the last year or two, I have been found a really deep passion in and just like educating people and teaching people about fitness and nutrition in a way that the media and the world has never done, which blows my mind. We are taught everything wrong about it all. <laughs> We're going to dive into that, but I'm curious what, so you're going to school, you're going to go into marketing and a wide range of field for, um, marketing. Um, you, you're very enthusiastic. You're world-class at what you do. You and I work together regularly on social media distribution stuff, other things like that. And yet you really light up when you talk about this. How did you, how did you even end up here? Were you always like an athletic kid growing up? Were you really intense doing this? <laughs> no, that is my favorite story to tell because I was the world, world's worst athlete okay. growing up. Like I played every sport. I tried every sport. I failed at every sport. Okay. I warmed the bench. I was, if you knew me in high school, people look at me that knew me in high school and are like, how did this happen? Because I was not, I played basketball, but I literally barely made varsity as a senior. Like they almost cut me from the varsity team as a senior. Um, and this was a school of 30 kids. You don't get cut on the team. There's 30 kids in my entire senior class. You don't get cut from those teams. So I was going to be like the first worst athlete ever <laughs> to not be able to even sit the bench. So, um, there was that I tried volleyball, um, when I was in fifth and sixth grade, I, I played softball when I was younger. Um, I tried everything. My hand-eye coordination was never good. And I was just never an athlete. I was a theater 
drama kid growing up. I was in shows my whole life. I think that's kind of where my personality comes from is that. So, so then how did you get started doing this? Um, to be honest with you, Instagram and the internet, I was in, okay. So back up, I got a job after college, right? Like we all do. I got really excited. It was in marketing. It was direct sales. It was the worst thing I ever did in my life. I worked there for three months. I hated it. It was kind of an MLM sort of approach. So it was like multi-level marketing. You have to recruit so many people to be successful um, and then continue to like sell these random items. It was, it was weird, but they promised me like a crap ton of money. And so at first I was like, I mean, as a 22 year old coming out of college, I'm like, they're like, you could make up to 75 K in your first year. And I was like, sign me up. I am in. So I bought into it. I started drinking the Kool-Aid. I drank the Kool-Aid for about a month. And then I started crying every day to work (laughs) because I was making less than minimum wage. Like the money didn't pan out. Nothing panned out. Um, So I quit for the first time ever in my life with nothing lined up. And I was terrified I was going to have to move home with my parents. And I then got a job at a gym. Planet Planet Fitness was hiring. It's all that I could get. So I worked for minimum wage and I started just talking to the trainer there. I had always gone to the gym like regularly, just knowing because as a woman, you have these ideas about how you're supposed to look. And I think they kind of beat it into my head. Society, I mean, beat it into my head that to be attractive as a woman, you needed to do cardio, run on the treadmill and then go to the corner and do abs. So during my college career, I did that pretty much all through college. Um, and then I started doing that. The trainer one day came up to me and goes, why don't you lift weights? And I was like, cause they're for boys. <laughs> and he was like, and that was my thought because I was like, the weights are for men. And he was like, no, no, no. Let me teach you something. Um, and I started lifting weights and then I started getting really passionate about it. And I was like, this is cool. Um, so I started a, f- a fitness page on Instagram, just about lifting weights and workouts and how to put them together and how to change your body and how to do what I had seen myself already do was lose some weight and get the body recomposition that I was looking for, for 10 plus years, all my life. And all of a sudden I picked up a weight and it happened. So I was like, they're just, this isn't right. Like we don't know these things. So I finally, I decided to make this page. And from there, I just, I found more people that were fitness coaches, nutrition coaches that saw it the same way I did as society has been teaching us wrong and you can eat the foods you like and still make progress and you can go to the gym and the best thing you can do is touch a weight and all the things that I think are just never talked about. Um, and then I found a lot of those coaches also in bodybuilding and I became obsessed with the way they looked, what they wore, what they did. Just the whole sport was so cool to me. And I was like, I'm going to do that one day. And then I did. (laughs) When you... When you first started embracing this, what was what was the hardest? Was it figuring out the nutrition? Yes. Was it training your body to to be at the gym and to stay with the routine? Because it because working out doesn't work if you don't. One, you could hurt yourself. Yes. <laughs> um, two, you can. Um, you know, you want you want as 
as you can tell, as round as I am, but once upon a time, well, I didn't lift weights. I was in the military and we did a lot of um, PT PT and other training, but they really taught us, you know, we couldn't understand why these random exercises. They're like, look, we do them in order. We do certain exercises and we do them in order because we want to build strength and we want them to, the work that we did with this first exercise, we want to complement the second exercise, or at least we don't want to fatigue or triple fatigue these Mm -hmm. different muscle groups. And so here's the method to our madness. But one of the things we learned pretty quickly was you need to every day, at least in the army, run. Every day you need to do some uh, uh, weight training. It was our own body weight, lift up, uh, chin ups, lift ups, um, et cetera. Push ups, as I, my drill sergeant used to tell me, you do push ups till I get tired. So, but you, if you stopped, if you went on leave for three weeks or whatever, and you came back, you're completely exhausted to try to get back in that routine. So, as you looked at the nutrition side versus the weightlifting, what was the hardest for you to keep the momentum going? Probably nutrition, just because, and I think that's hardest for everyone. I find that building a habit around the gym, um, lifestyle wise, obviously outside of the military, outside of bodybuilding, these things that are a little bit more extreme to the just average Joe that wants to be healthy. Yeah. Um, lifestyle wise, three to four workouts a week is a great number. That is a solid amount of being in the gym and being consistent. Um, most people think you have to go into it with seven days a week, no days off. And that's why they fail because they're so tired and they're so done with it. And then they say, okay, I'm done. And they walk away and they take two more weeks off and then they're, and then they repeat that cycle. Whereas if you're in three to four days a week and you allow yourself to know that if I miss a day this week and only go twice, that's okay. I'll just pick back up next week with three or four days. Um, and it's that consistency over time that gets you where you need to be. But that habit within a few, really two, one to two months, people can build pretty easily. It's the nutrition part that's extremely hard because life ebbs and flows. A lot of things are going on. You have, I mean, just this summer I had, I went to six weddings already this year and it's places like that, that you don't think of all these social situations you get in that people feel like they either need to avoid everything served there and avoid it all and only chew on their lettuce in the corner, (laughs) or they need to go all out and eat four meals at every event and just stuff their face. And it's that constant need of balance and nutrition that is extremely hard to find. Well, isn't it? I I mean, I, at least when people say nutrition, a lot of times I hear diet or code for, um, not necessarily restraint, but restriction, you know, and, um, uh, discomfort and, you know, blah, blah, blah. I can't, you know, and that irritates me. So when you, when you got started with nutrition, well, and so that's one aspect. The other is, I know some people that, you know, they'll say, change your lifestyle, right? Or change your mindset, at least as it relates to food. And for a few people, they don't have a particularly difficult time in changing the frequency in which they eat, the types of things they eat. But I find that that's the exception. That for most of us, in particular, if you have a palate like mine, I like savory. I'm not a big sweet person, but I like savory bulk. So eat a lot of meat, um, some vegetables, but um, it's it's. I've always found it difficult to maintain. I can restrict myself very yes. rigidly, but to maintain a long term change, my mindset has been all but impossible. I'm a little bit older than you, but it's been a <laughs> just difficult, like two years something. Most people, and that's where most people do fall short is they can 
because black and white is so easy. When you get a list of eat this, do this, and this will happen, that's so easy. You just follow it and that's the end. But nutrition is a great area for everyone, no matter what diet you're following. There is never a time where black and white works because every single body is different. We all have different nutritional needs. We're all different heights. We all have different lifestyles. Someone who's working a construction job needs a very different nutritional um, daily value than someone like me who sits behind a desk for seven hours. Um, or someone who is, you know, four foot 11 needs a very, very different nutritional needs than someone who's six, three, um, and male and female. And, you know, like all of these things make so many differences that the reason that all these diets exist and all these things, it's just, they're different avenues to get you into caloric deficit, which scientifically is how you shed body fat. That's literally the only way. It is that simple. Calories in, calories out. Calories in, calories out. And most people think that that means you have to work out every day, you know, because otherwise you're not burning calories. But you burn calories when you eat, when you live, when you breathe, when you wake up during your NEAT, which is your non-exercise activity thermogenesis. So walking to get the mail. Every activity you do that is an exercise. So throughout my coaching, we talk about all of those things and we educate on when you're burning calories, not just when you're working out and how you can like utilize those small things and make changes there rather than just eat X, Y, and Z and hate your life. Because that's what most people think of when they think diet. They think I'm going to be hungry and I'm going to be sad. I can't eat anything I like. Um, But the word diet doesn't even mean caloric deficit. It just means what you eat. Like my diet right now is very high calorie because that's where I'm at right now, gaining muscle, but it's still my diet. And that's where society comes in. And yeah, everything you said just frustrates me so much because you think nutrition and you think vegetables and you think, and healthy means something for every different person. For some people, I've had clients that healthy meant saying yes to eating dessert because they're restrictors and they have had eating disorders in the past. And so they're, they're chronically avoiding food. So saying yes to a cookie for them without guilt is a big deal. So it really just, it totally depends on every single individual. There's no, there is no black and white. When you started on this and you started posting things to Instagram, why did you start posting there? No, I don't mean like why Instagram (laughs) over anything else, but why did you start just Um, posting stuff? You know, I remember, I kind of, I remember the day I made the account um, and I thought about making it private because I was terrified people who knew me would find it for the longest time. I didn't because I decided that fear was stupid. And that was just my own ego telling me my, like limiting me in things. Um, but I think I started just because I, I had a friend that did it. That's what got me. I had a friend that did it. And I was like, she is getting like, people were giving her some attention. People were thinking what she was doing was so cool. And I was like, well, I do that same thing. And I, could be doing that exact same. And I could be helping people too. Um, but I think the reason that I did it and the reason I turned to Instagram and like social media, cause I have a Facebook page now too. Um, and things like that is because I've like my whole life, I've decided I wanted to help people. Like I grew up with big inspirations, like celebrities and influencers, if you want to use that word. And just people in my life that were huge influences on me. And I wanted to be that for other people as an adult. And that was like, since I was like five or six, that's all I ever wanted to do. And so I was like, I could actually do that now utilizing this platform um, and just continue to build on it. And whether I have one followers or a million followers, 
I am touching lives of I'm I'm helping someone. Right. I'm changing opinions. I'm I'm helping them understand what they don't understand. Um, so yeah, I think that's kind of where it came from. How did you land on? So you're sitting there like, okay, I'm starting this workout thing. I think I, I started here working at the gym. Started talking to some of the local experts, those bodybuilder people. That looks pretty badass. Um, how do you go about educating yourself on um, what's the right nutrition for you? For for example, you're just saying, look, the whole world is having some kind of a conversation, whether they use the wrong words and call it diet. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a lot of information out there. Be vegan, be vegetarian, be paleo, be carnivore, be some combination, be like all these different sort of put these things together. And here's my scientist on here and credit, you know, peer reviewed, accredited scientists saying, wow, you shouldn't eat this thing. Or my wife came to me the other day and said, you know, we've got to stop eating. I think she said tomatoes. I forget what it was. But it was that it, you know, causes these sorts of things. And I'm sure to a group of people. There are these issues, but I'm like, you know, I, so I'm curious since it seems so convoluted outside looking in, mm-hmm. how did you sort of get traction first for yourself and then in a direction to help coach people? Um, it was hard. It was guess and check. Yeah. It was do this and see what happens. Um, my two diet, like go to's for anyone questioning any diet to try is, is it sustainable? Can you sustain it for three to four months minimum? Um, And is it long-term? Does it have a plan after the diet? Is there something, because people can do a diet, but the reason people fail diets is because they have a plan. They don't have any plan for after the diet. You can go keto, you can go paleo, you can go Atkins, which are really all three, I think, low, like, Code word for low carb. You can go low carb. You can go sugar free. You can go fat free. You can do whatever you do. But what are you going to do after? Because every single person that immediately reverts back to how they were eating before gains everything back and And, they just revert back to where they were. And that's what we call yo-yo dieting. Right. And it's what 90 percent of people are stuck in. Um, so I didn't search for any true diet. I started macro and calorie counting because it's what the other fitness coaches online were doing. Honest, honestly, like that's, I saw these girls that I liked what they were doing. So I was like, well, I'm going to do that, which is how most people got obsessed with keto. And with, you know, when you see other people doing it and it's working, you're like, I'm just going to do that. Um, but the thing with macro and calorie counting is it's different for everyone. Everyone's macros are different. Everyone's caloric needs are different. So it's kind of it's, it's referred to as flexible dieting, but you're able to adjust based on the person. So I started just doing research, literally Googled, how do you figure out your macros? I have a degree from Google too. I did. Yeah, I did some math. 90% of what I know about fitness and health comes from Google. Right. And like just questioning things, Googling it, and then researching and finding not just one thing that says this is how you do it, but 10 things that shows you how to do it. Um So I started macro and calorie counting. I did that on my own and adjusting things for about a year. And then I was stuck. I stopped making progress, which happens a lot because. Now, when you say making progress, were you trying to change shape? Were you trying to lose weight? Were you trying to gain muscle? At that point, I was trying to change shape. I was looking for body recomposition, but I didn't know it. I was continuously losing weight, though, which most people consider a win. But I'm a a small built person anyway. So I was down to about 119 pounds, which is extremely small for five, six. Um, 
And when I went to my coach, she was like, oh, you're not eating enough. Um, and so, yeah, so I reached out to a girl I loved on Instagram. I'd followed her for years. She, I had seen her changing people right and left. She was amazing. She also was a bodybuilder. She competed in the same division I do. Um, I kind of latched onto her YouTube channel, watched her every day, loved her, hired her. Um, and when I hired her, she took me through my first reverse diet. And What's that a reverse is what diet? changed my life. Reverse dieting is not talked about enough for anybody. It's exactly what you do after your diet. Is it like a reverse mortgage? Literally what? reversed. <laughs> diet in reverse. So give us a, what does that look like? So when you diet, you go down in calories. You're in yeah. a deficit. Slowly, usually. You don't, you don't want to cut it all out at once or your body will be like, I'm starving. So you slowly get down. And now when you're done with your diet, you got to slowly go back up to where your maintenance is. Um, and that's where people fall short is they don't reverse diet. They binge eat or just eat whatever they want after their diet. And their body is like, what are you doing? And just gains it all, stores it all as fat. And it's, and you start gaining weight again and people get frustrated. Um, but reverse dieting is what every single human needs to do after they're in a diet phase, after they're in a deficit phase. I've done four of them in my time, because as I go through bodybuilding, I continuously do more bulks. I do more cuts. And every time you have to reverse out of a prep, out of a cut, out of whenever you're in a deficit, you have to reverse. And that is what makes the diet successful is reversing out. Wow. Um, how, how, when you coach people, how receptive are they to this? Does it, is it as easy for them to adjust to that as it is the diet or is it hard? It's hard. A lot of my girls, I, I mean, you, you need to gain weight when you want to build muscle. If you want this toned look everybody's after, you have to build the muscle and then you want to lose some body fat to show it. That's all toned is because you can't tone a muscle. That's actually impossible. You can grow it or you can make it smaller. Once you grow it, you want to lose the body fat to show it. And that's what most of my girls want. Um, they're, they're pretty receptive because they know they trust me. When, when a client trusts me, I can get them the goals they want. I can tell when they don't trust me because after about a month, they're just, they're done. Or, or the minute they see the scale jump up at all, even if their body looks different and it looks the way they want it to, they see that scale go up and society has them so attached to that number that they're out. Um, and I can only do so much. I can't, that was, that was really hard for me when I first started coaching. Um, that and truly understanding that as a coach, you have to listen to your clients and you have to really guide them to their goals, not your goals. I took a girl through a bulk on accident once because I just kept upping her food because I got so excited about the way she looked. I started to love the way she looked. She was gaining so much muscle and she was like, whoa, Alyssa, this is not what I wanted. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I did not mean to do that. She's like, I think we're bulking now. And, and I didn't really want to do that. And I was like, oh, we kind of are. And I realized that I had done that on accident. So separating myself from them and helping them reach, making it all about them is, is huge. But um, yeah, there, some people are receptive. Most people struggle because I tell them I want them to eat more food to lose weight. And they're just immediately are like, that's not what I've been taught. That's not how it works. Or in a diet, they'll be eating 1,800 calories and losing weight. And they're like, how, do, how does that work? Right. But it works. Right. Well, for me, when I hear eat more and lose weight, what that to me means I'm going to have to eat a lot of broccoli. So that's more food. And I love broccoli. Yeah. But, but I'm eating low caloric 
bulky food and it's okay, but I can only, you know, my palate will only tolerate a certain amount of stuff. When you mentioned the scale, I mean, that to me, that is probably the most common way that we measure success or failure um, is on the scale. How else besides, and I, to your point earlier, I recognize that um, muscle is heavier than fat. And so you could be leaner and stronger and thinner and still weigh equal to or more than you did when you had too much fat. But what are the other ways that you help people measure? Oh, there's so many ways. You don't even have to have a scale. Uh, Some of my clients don't own a scale um, because weight freaks them out for that exact reason. But um, the scale is one small part of an entire story. I have clients take pictures every week from the front, from the side and from the back um, because comparing those pictures over time is the best way to see changes like week to week. And they only do it once a week because my clients are in it for the long haul. I don't do anything that's there's not, there's not gonna be a lot of changes when you first start to work into lifestyle changes, you know, like they're just, they're not fast changes, um, but they're lifelong changes. So we do photos every week. Um, I have client check-ins every week where I can measure their biofeedback, which basically just means what their body's telling them. So I ask them questions like, how did you feel this week? Energized. So like, did you have to drink eight cups of coffee to get through your day? Did you feel good? Um, are you, how's your sleep? Are you sleeping enough? Um, how are you feeling digestion wise? Like, what's that like? And that's awkward for people to talk about at first. Like, are you going to the bathroom regularly? How is that going? Because that tells you a lot about what's going on with their body. And if things like that, like how stressed were you this week? Did your boyfriend break up with you? Did you have a fight with someone? Um, Cause that kind of thing too, stress can, can keep your body from responding. So we talk about all those things every week so that I kind of know where their biofeedback is at. Um, and then optionally, they can also do measurements, body measurements. Um, and they also do how clothes fit. We measure by how your clothes fit. So did you go, have you gone down any sizes? Do you feel like they're tighter or looser? Cause, um, you start to notice those things as you're in, you know, your fourth, fifth month. I actually just had a client text me a few days ago and said she bought an extra large for the first time in years. She's been a triple or double XL in everything. And she just bought an extra large. So little wins like that, instead of scale wins, are just as big. Now, when you get this information, do you put it into a, um, are you still analog, old school, and you're writing it down in a notebook? Do you use apps or tools for this? How do you, how do you put it together to correlate? So that was the hardest thing for me as a coach. And I actually took a, a business course from a girl who has she was, she got into online coaching a long time ago and she started, she was like one of the first girls. She was young when she did it and she is a millionaire now doing it. She's amazing. Um, so I hired her and I went through a 12 week accelerator course to basically build how to online coach, like system wise, how to do it. So I found the best way for me, because at the end of the day, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work. So the best way for me was to use the app that she recommended, which was the Trainerize app. So I use that. I pay for that out of pocket. Um, and then clients who come to me get recommended to use that. We use the MyFitnessPal app because there's a free version for everybody. Um, and it has the largest database of food in it. So I can see their logging and those apps synchronize. 
they sync together, which is really great for me because then I can see all of their numbers, but it doesn't show me specific food because I don't care what food they're eating. I give them the numbers. They fill it. They know if they're going to fill it with all cookies, it's not the best decision. You know, (laughs) how hard is that? I'm curious. Now I know I sound like I'm an old guy, but the idea of my, so my sister, I'm not going to say how much weight she lost, but she's a little bit younger than me. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> we, she saw how somebody in our life um, in their late 70s, you know, just carrying weight. And, that, and this person um, hadn't carried weight for all their life, but had last decade or so, really seeing it. And she and I were talking one day, I'm like, man, I feel it my hips and my knees and my feet. And you know, especially when for most of my life, I've been pretty athletic. And so I, I feel it now as I'm slowing down. And she decided a year ago, a little over a year, September, you know what, look, I just want to, she's a mother of five kids and said, I'm going to lose a lot of weight, like a human being, like a 15 year old human being in weight. And she's lost over 85, 90 pounds on the way to her journey. I'm like, what? That's amazing. How have you starved yourself to death? <laughs> I, w- I saw her in a, um, a store not long ago. I didn't even know she was in that store. And I just kept staring like, I know this person. And after a moment, I was like, that's, that's my sister. <laughs> and um, one of the things that, there's a number of things that she did, but one of the things she did was the calorie counter. And I don't remember which one, so I got the calorie counter. I couldn't calorie count while I was like, I'm, it's just such a hard habit to develop. But she said that was key because she didn't know how many calories she was consuming in a day and she needed the counter. Yeah. How hard is it to for people to ad- adopt it? I've been tracking for three and a half years. So You're for me, wrong. it is so easy. It is so did easy. It, but did it, it is start nothing. Easy? No, I mean, it's just like anything, it's a habit you want to build, but it truly is such an eye opener and it's educational. That's why I like it. That's why I use it. Um, because as much of, of a pain in the butt as it might seem at first, um, I have clients who pre-track, they track their day ahead of time, um, which is what I normally do the night before I know what food is in my fridge. I know what I'm going to get and I pre-track everything. And I'm like, okay, I've hit my numbers. That's what I'm going to eat tomorrow. And then it makes your next day so easy because you don't even have to think about it. You know what you're eating. Um, but with that comes a little bit of meal prepping. So I've never been a huge meal prepper, which is weird because most people in my space make their meals individually every week, 12 or 18 meals in their fridge. I don't do that. I prep in bulk. I make chicken. I make beef. I make rice. I make potatoes, my carbs and my, and my proteins. I make those all up. And then throughout the week, I can pull from those add a fat source and bam, I have a balanced meal and it's easy. Um, but I'm also a very plain eater. Like I don't do a lot of recipes. So really just adjusting to the person. If they're going to do a lot of recipes, my fitness pal can track that. Um, and like I tell all of my clients, it's not that serious. It's only that serious. Like if, like when I'm prepping for a bodybuilding show, I'm weighing everything out to the gram. There is no reason for a regular human to weigh your food out. But if you think your portion sizes are off, pull a measuring cup out, pull a food scale out and check and just check. And once you've done it three or four times, eyeballing it is so much easier. I'm really good at holding the potato chip bag up to the yeah. light and kind of giving and it just the one eye squint. And dumping the chips when in I got the, the end. I can and tell you like, how full about. it is. 
Yeah. Yep. About six ounces. That's yeah. It. That was about That's six it. ounces. Pretty, I'm pretty accurate with that. And then I look at the collection of crumbs on my shirt. I don't know about how much I if ate. If you're like my fiance, then you just shake them off a little and it just all <laughs> no, comes I off. I lick my hand and scoop it oh, up. And, but go. let's just keep moving. Save it for later. <laughs> <clears throat> so you're putting this together as a trainer. I want to switch back to bodybuilder for a minute. So you get this idea. That seems pretty cool. I want to try this or I want to, I want to investigate this. How hard was it? Because it seems like it's ridiculously hard for one, to get your body into shape to do that. And two, to strip down to your underwear and go up onto a stage in front of people who aren't admiring you like, oh, look, this is an attractive person. And I'm there. All they're doing is like figure skating. All they're doing is staring at you. What's wrong? What dimple is wrong? What thing is wrong? Like just spectacularly criticizing. It seems like a weird thing to combine. I want to get my body into shape so I can go stand in front of a group of people to evaluate it and tell me not how positive I am, but my, um, uh, you know, my, the, the things that they're, however they're comparing it, you know, the things that I fail at. So what drove you into that actually doing it and how hard was it? What drove me into doing it? I thought they looked good. Okay. I just liked the way they looked. I was like, that is, for me, I think that is the most perfect body on earth. Like the, in the bikini division, there's tons of divisions. They get musclier. They get their, their different like muscle balances, which muscles have to be bigger. It's a lot of rules. But for me, it was, I think those people are cool. I think they work harder than anyone else in the room. And I want to be that person. Um, and it, to answer your second question, it was the hardest thing to date that I've ever done. And I'm about to do it again in January, oh, wow. um, which terrifies me, but also excites me. And that's how I know I have to do it. Um, because it just, when you're scared of something, that's the best thing for you to do. Yeah. Nothing grows in your comfort zone. Yeah. Are you familiar with um, uh, uh, Dave Goggins, the Navy SEAL guy? Um, anyway, he, he's this fascinating character um, that when he went into a study up in, I believe it was um, Stanford, but it was up in uh, uh, the California Bay Area, he went to this university, and they did this interesting study on fear. It's really cool lab. There's a cool YouTube video about this conversation. <clears throat> and the professor said um, he came in, he, they were at a common event, they invited him back to the lab. And it was really weird because as a Navy SEAL, his number one fear was sharks and the water. And they s- simulate fear by they, they interview you and they, they create like this um, AI-driven 3D model of things to terrify you. I do not like that. And so they were doing it through sharks and whatever. And he talked about how even Dave did when he was in training as a SEAL, he was the first one in the water. He's like, I will face my fear even if it kills me. And it's such an unusual experience. And the same thing in the sleep lab. And he's genuinely afraid. This is not fake fear. And he had a terrible, terrible, hard uh, uh, childhood. And he's just like, I don't know any other way but to just attack the thing that's causing me fear while I'm terrified. And he's done it remarkably well. So it's pretty, so you get up there, you go to do it. You've done how many of these now? Just the one. Just the one. Yep. I had a lot of growing to do a lot more muscle to put on. And my coach and I decided it would be best for me to just go ahead and take the growth. Now muscle takes a long time to grow. So 
I needed the time so that I can get back up in 2022. Otherwise, if I did some more shows last year, I'd need to take a whole year off to do growing. So what was the surprise? You get up on stage in your first event and... I blacked out. I can't remember it. I was so nervous. Really? Most, most women do. Most most bodybuilders will get up there and they don't remember it the minute they're off stage. But you pose so much. That's another thing that goes into it. Hours and hours and days and days of posing practice of how you're supposed to pose up there. Um, that my, my body, my mind just knew how to do it. I could pose in my sleep. Um, so I got up there in the first round. I remember I was sweating, which is not good because you're tanned. You're like orange. So I'm like, oh my gosh, things are going to start dripping. This is not good. Um, but you like, you're glued into your suit because if it moves, I mean, it's not the biggest suit you ever wore. So you can't move. Um, but it was so much fun. I remember stepping off and going, I want to do that again. And I had four classes that day. So I went up there four times, wow. second and third time. And like for finals, I had a blast. Right. I just loved it. I loved all the eyes on me. I love, but again, coming from being a theater kid, right. I just love it. So the it. performance part, once you got through that first hurdle was okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's literally a show. I mean, you're putting on a show. You're not standing up there and just turning around. You're up there putting on a persona. And the more persona you give and the more fun you have with it, the more the judges like you. Your confidence is huge. It's a part of your entire package. Now, do you set up any tools to evaluate, like whether it's cameras or whatever, that evaluate your performance in the way that, you know, we watch uh, the Chiefs play a football game. And afterwards, they're going through film. They're studying what worked, what they missed, what they did well, what they need to prove on. Do you do any of that? Is that part of the industry at all? I record myself a lot. A lot, a lot. I will do about once or twice a week. I record myself doing movements in the gym almost every day that I'm in there. If I have a question on my forum, I record myself because it's the best way to see where you're lacking. Um, but as far as like tools, pro literally just my cell phone, my coach, I have a posing coach that's separate from my nutrition and workout coach. Okay. So both my coaches receive my videos and once a week I was required to send them a video of me practicing and they would tell me what was wrong, where, what to fix, what to work on. And we just continued to do that too. Right. Is that, I'm curious about this industry in particular because I work in, um, not a physical industry. I work in the world of data and virtual and it's not uncommon. Just the other day, Facebook talks about the metaverse and this world that they're building. And I talk to a lot of, I would call them young people, people, you know, approximately your age, late 20s, mid 20s and younger. And they love the idea of the metaverse, which is anything but bodybuilding or it may, there may be nutrition in there, but there's not a lot of athletics, athletics. It's all virtual. It's all online. Do you see there's a growing trend or interest from people to get into weightlifting and bodybuilding? Is it is it counterculture or is it still just a very small uh, group of people doing I what you're doing? I think it's a small group of people. I think a lot of people want to do it. They think it's cool. They they love to see it. But most people don't believe in themselves enough to do it. Like every the first comment I always get is, "Oh, I could never do that diet." Yes, you could. Like anyone could do the diet. It's really not hard. You literally just set your mind to something and you do it. Um, 
but it's the self-control and the willpower that they just, they truly don't believe that they have. And that was the coolest part about it for me was I went into it truly not believing I had it either. Like I was like, I know I'm going to cheat eventually. I know I'm going to veer off a little and that's okay. No one's perfect. We're going to do our best. And I did not take one extra bite for 12 weeks that I was not supposed to and that wasn't calculated. And that is what blew my mind the most. And that has given me the most confidence in the whole wide world to do. I mean, when people look at you and you're little and say, you can do whatever you want. If you set your mind to it, everyone's like, that's a load. That's not true. You cannot that whatever. There are some things I can't do. But after that, I like almost believe that truly that you could literally do whatever you want. So how do you help the people that you're training get that mindset? Um, I show them that they can do the same thing, that they, that their goals are possible if they just work for them and not even a hundred percent. Like I, I went all in a hundred percent. All I ask from them is 80, 80, 20 rule is what we live by 20% of the time. You're being social. You're living a life. You're having fun. You're eating processed foods, foods that comfort you, that taste good. Anything your heart desires. 80% of the time we're eating whole nutrient dense foods that fuel our body, to give us the movement and the energy and the happy life we want to live. What would that typical meal like that look like for you? You mean like with 80% of one and 20% of the other? So I don't look at it as a meal, one in, in specifically. I look at it as like a week. So if you're doing 80% of your week whole foods, so say you eat like three meals a day, which most of us, most of my clients and, and me included eat like four to five times a day, sometimes more, um, which is another thing eating more times a day is not an issue. It's just your total for the day. Um, but it's kind of like they say you're eating three times a day, seven days in a week. That's 21 meals. So about 80% of that. So you have 3% or three meals, three to four meals. That's going to take up about 20% of that. So three to four of your meals every week can be what you want them to be. Um, But again, it's a balance. So then we talk about not stuffing our faces just because it's a meal of what you want doesn't mean we have to eat until we can't breathe. So it's that sort of and based on the client, I take an approach of most of my clients need one or one of two approaches. You either need to be told don't eat till you can't breathe or don't be scared to eat what you want because one of two mindsets sits in almost every woman I've worked with. I can't control myself around certain foods. I can't stop eating them. I love them. Or, oh, sweets being the biggest one. um, Most people go to sweets, but a lot of people will also have issues with carbs. They'll think that they're eating way too many carbs. They can't control themselves around their portions of like pasta. They have to have a ginormous bowl. They have to have seconds on everything, everywhere they go, things like that. Um, And then there's the other person who I feel like I've actually worked with these people more than the other, but that say I'm scared too because I'll feel guilty. They feel like they need to work it off. They feel like they need to, it wasn't healthy enough. It wasn't good enough for them and it's going to make them gain weight. So even like if they eat, so you're saying don't completely avoid, for example, mashed potatoes or whatever, just have this small amount and you're not cheating anything because we're looking at the whole, not this individual and it's not a cheat at all. And one one day a week, I encourage them to go out and have a meal that they don't track at all. So they're not worried about any fats, proteins, whatever. Just have a meal that you want to eat every week. Um, and sometimes I've had clients go on vacation and they'll they'll just adjust there too. Like 
Do they want to have two meals out? They know that they've had a heavy breakfast, so they're going to have a lighter lunch with more more vegetables in it for micronutrients. And it's like the de- decisions like that that are small things that help you. That that's where their I see their mindset change because I see them say, "Oh, well, I had a really like." heavy breakfast. There was almost no protein in it. So for lunch, I doubled my protein and I had just a lighter lunch. And I'm like, there you go. That's what tracking has taught them exactly to do that because they know what their body needs. Do you ever mess with intermittent fasting? I hear that talked about everywhere and I, I have no idea what to make of it. So intermittent fasting is not anything magical. It will not help you lose weight. The reason it helps people lose weight is because it pushes all of their calorie intake for the day in a window of time. And that pushes them into a deficit because they're not snacking extra outside of those that window of time. So I personally did intermittent fast during my prep because I'm not super hungry in the mornings. It worked best for me. I don't love – I love breakfast foods. I don't love eating right away when I wake up. So I would eat first thing at between 11 and noon. Um, and I would eat until about 7 or 8. So for me, it worked. But it wasn't a, a really a weight loss tactic. More of it fit my lifestyle and my preferences. So if that kind of dieting or food eating – I don't know how to say that. If that fits your preferences and your lifestyle, 100% do it. Um it's because it's different for everyone. But to think that if you don't eat in a certain window, your body processes food the exact same way at 6 a.m. and at midnight. So if you eat a donut at 6 a.m. and you eat one at midnight, one is not worse for you than the other. They're literally the exact same. Do you Nothing try to cut off happen. a certain um, eating before you go to bed at no, a certain time? Absolutely not. When I learned that was a myth, that's a big fitness myth that people don't understand is that eating before you go to bed will not make you gain weight. The reason, again, people gain weight because they eat extra before bed. Their calorie window, like their amount of calories they ate that day was already great. And now they're eating in a surplus. Whereas I specifically save 100 to 200 calories for 9 p.m. I've eaten my last meal between 8 and 9 p.m. for four plus years now because I prefer to have something before bed. Um, so it works for me, but I'm not eating extra. So when you're tracking calories and macros and all of these things in a full big picture during the day, you can see that, oh, I have some leftover. I can have a little snack before bed or, oh, no, I don't have anything left over. I've hit my goals for the day. I really can't have that snack or it'll push me into a surplus. And that's where you see the weight gain. Do you have, when you, when you work, do you have trouble bulking up with the right muscle? I don't just mean gain weight, but when you go on this program, you're like, I need to bulk up in these places with this kind of muscle. That feels like that's a, that's a challenge. It's a huge challenge. That's why I have my own coach. Cause I don't even know where I would, I mean, you can't gain muscle without body fat. So as I'm gaining muscle, I'm also gaining body fat. But as we strategically keep my lifts kind of like lower to mid rep, super heavy weight, as heavy as I can go on some of these movements, which for me is fun. I love that aspect of it. I love challenging myself to see how heavy I can go. Um, but continuously on every single movement to push myself to push more weight is going to grow the muscle. And as that muscle grows and I gain the body fat, then once I am able to shed the body fat and, and keep the muscle with another strategic diet and plan for my coach. That's kind of where that comes from. And I don't, I don't coach competition prep for a reason. (laughs) It's a whole nother dynamic of coaching. Um, and I don't think I'd ever, I'd ever coach someone into a prep. It's, it's a whole different ball game. I've heard, I don't know, this is true, but I've heard that, um, especially long time 
gym goers, one of the reasons why they do it is not just to be fit, that it helps them to deal with stress and anxiety. You yeah. find that for yourself? Yeah. So your brain actually emits serotonin when you're working out and it makes you happy. Um, I, <laughs> I'm evidently working out the wrong way. So many people say that because they're like, well, I'm not happy, but if you do it, you will realize after your workout. And for a lot of people, it's not during. And if you don't love what you're doing, find a new workout. There are so many ways to get moving and fit. There are so many sports. There are so many. That's the first question I ask every client that comes on with me. What do you like to do movement wise? And it doesn't have to be in a gym. A lot of my clients like to, I have a client that loves to hike every other month. She goes out of the state sometimes out of the country and takes a long hike. That is an amazing amount of movement. I would be so sore after that, but that's her favorite way to get in movement. So I'm like, okay, so for you, when we talk about things, we're going to do a lot of outdoor walking and, um, jogs outside and running with your dogs and things like that. Cause that's what she likes to do. Some people like to lift weights. Some people don't. Um, now there are benefits of everything. So even if you hate to lift weights, you should still lift a few weights any, I hate cardio personally. I hate it. I don't like to run, but during prep, I still have to do cardio. I still have do to you go have on to my do walks. a lot of cardio for, I thought for bulking up that you didn't have to do a lot of cardio. No, not at all. I'm not doing any right oh, okay, now, okay. but when I prep for a show, right. I'm doing like 45 minutes to an hour and a half a day of cardio. It's a lot to lose that body fat. And those that's after my lifts. So it, it becomes a lot, but it's, I mean, it's what I got to do. So I put my head down and I do it and it's, that sort of thing that I've learned from bodybuilding, that that aspect that it's changed my mind of you have to do it has seeped into every aspect of my life. So I come into work and there, there are a few things about, you know, your job that you don't love. Everybody has that. But you put your head down and do it because you want to be the best at your job right. in all facets. Right. And same thing with relationships. There, there are things that about like my fiance and I or my sister and I, I don't love everything about our relationship. Some things are really hard. Mm. Um, but just like that cardio, I put my head down and I do it because it makes for a better relationship in the end. Mm. When you, um, when you work out, do you use any devices, any wearables, anything like that to measure how, your yeah. performance? Well, I had a Fitbit for a long time, <laughs> but then I had to take it off because I found myself looking at how many calories I was burning constantly. So it really put me in a negative mindset. Like I was just trying to constantly burn more calories, burn more calories. And that's not always the goal. And that always doesn't define, that doesn't define a great lift. And those things are like not as accurate as you'd think. I mean, they're great tools, but when they start to become less of a tool, then you got to take it off. So I haven't worn it in a while, but I have used a Fitbit for it to track and it tracks my calories burned and my steps and my heart rate and, and all of that. But we had this really cool guest on all, all my guests are pretty cool, but um, this gal, her name is Christina Chase, and she's head of data analytics at MIT and their esports uh, esports lab. <clears throat> and one of the things that she and I talked about, we were talking about wearables, and she said, you know, there are uh, companies out there now where they make um, smart fabric. So whole body suits, whole everything, it's primarily in professional sports. Amateur sports, it's harder because you have to calibrate these devices mm -hmm. at the professional level. And when you're an amateur, you may take, you know, you have a certain amount of time, excuse me, a day or a week that you could, um, that you're allowed to prep or, or, or to do your uh, workouts, especially when you're with the Olympic Committee and these other things. <clears throat> and so to calibrate something that you would wear is very difficult. It could be very time consuming. But with this fabric, 
Um, it is amazing what it can, everything from respiratory to, um, are you dehydrated to calories, to efficiency, to muscle joint, like all of this stuff. I'm like, well, what do you do with all that data and who owns the data? Does the athlete own it? Does the stadium own it? Does the league own it? Does the team own it? Um, if it detects a medical anomaly, do you get to keep that private? Like, how does that work? And I, I just see so many, whether they are things that you aren't wearing like cameras. So they're using it with high jumpers. Now they've got 50, 60 cameras all around them so that it can evaluate in real time exactly how they're launching. And if they're wearing smart fabric, it will help them to know, almost like a cyborg suit, lift this, twist that. Like how do we shape during training? They're not yet doing it during competition, but as you're in flight, instead of looking at a film, it gives you real time feedback on how to adjust your body. And I didn't know if that had impacted the bodybuilding world I've yet. never heard of that, but that is so cool. <clears throat> Isn't that unbelievable? If we could have that to correct form, I would put half my job out because that's a lot of what I do with clients is like where we work on form. Um, obviously I'm online. So they send me videos. I watch, I make corrections. Um, but yeah, that's, that's insane. To be able to in real time, to be yeah. able to give feedback. And so my next question to her was, well, when is AI going to replace the coach? Right. Yeah. And that's where like, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it ever will. Like I'm, I'm not, if I got in an airplane, and I looked in the cockpit and just saw computers and I'm in the AI machine learning data business and I'm a big optimist, but I probably, I don't know that I would get on the plane. Maybe my kids or certainly my grandkids. I don't know if I would. Um, although weirdly, the idea of having a autonomous drone that could fly me around that I just, for me, I just get in, plug where I want it to go and have it take me there and not worry about it. I do that all day long. I don't think that AI will ever replace a coach. And here's why, because literally so many of my clients stay with me long-term because they like, they trust me. There's a human connection that they have formed that they, they trust me with, I mean, with their health, which is huge. Um, but they feel like they can come to me with anything. It's an open kind of relationship with them. And I'm there with them to celebrate their wins, to be so proud of them. And that's something I don't think AI can replicate that feeling of another human congratulating you on working so hard. Like, I don't think, I mean, I get text messages from like companies, happy birthday, you know, and that's great, but I feel nothing, you know, I'm like, Oh, that's nice. Maybe I'll shop there again. But when another human texts me happy birthday and it's someone that I'm close with and that I've built a relationship with, I feel good inside. And I feel so, and there's other things going on in my brain. So like, I just, for that reason, I don't think AI can ever replicate that feeling of another be, human being so proud of you. Think there'll be AI judges? Now that is a possibility. Wouldn't that be? But would, but for the same reason, would you want to go up and perform for four different computers that are evaluating? Now there's no. On the one hand, there's no um, bias. They don't care ethnicity, age, color, attractiveness, what is form, right? Uh, hopefully yeah. it's just form. Well, and see, so that's a that. reason that we, we tan. We're all the same color on stage. Um, we're, where you are, we're pretty much all the same color. Like I got the, I have never been so dark in my life. It was kind of, my family was scared. They were like that. It does not look good. And I was like, it's not meant to look good. It just, it emphasizes the muscle. Um, and pretty much everybody tans for the stage, sure. no matter what race or ethnicity they are. Um, so 
going into it, that actually did blow my mind. Cause I was like, cause I'm, I'm a, I'm not the right. most tan person you ever did see. So, um, that was kind of fun, but that, that partial bias is in bodybuilding in the fact that you're, especially in bikini, your entire package matters. Your suit color against your skin tone, if it looks bad, you're knocked down. You're, cause so many women, especially at the pro level, cause there is a, there's a professional level. They're so good that these minute things are, are what keeps them from first place or not. But what if you had a computer or a machine mm-hmm. that can see in the infrared, that could care less about your pigmentation, it's just looking at, are you able to execute the form? Mm-hmm. What is the muscle mass? What's the yeah. definition? What's your pose? Like looking for almost this Barbie doll perfection. And the reason why I ask that is two things. I love to watch professional tennis. And in professional tennis, I know it sounds crazy. I've I never love- watched tennis in my life. Oh my gosh. The, the best tennis players in the world are unbelievable warriors. And we're at a really cool time where they're 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 also really good sports people. Mm-hmm. So it's this weird contact uh, uh, contrast of world-class. And at that level, it really is pretty much a mental game. They all know how to win. But when you're on center stage in front of the whole world and it's you against that competitor uh, and you're outsmarting each other, it's uh, it's pretty amazing. But anyway, they have what this thing called eagle eye. So it helps the judge look at the lines. We would call it instant replay in other sports, right? Look at the lines. I don't think anybody would be interested in watching a game where it's just electronics watching the lines. We want that human judge and coach and referee, but he's or she is supplemented by technology. Um, I forget what my second point was, but it but it's that kind of um, uh, deal. Where was I? It doesn't matter. But but that kind of like we want the human. Oh, I remember what is in music. There's this huge phenomenon. When I was a kid, probably about your age now, I remember being in the army and one of my friends came down the hall. Actually, I was a little bit younger than you are now. And they had this new Pink Floyd album and we were all wanting to listen to it. And they're like, look, and it's on a thing called a CD. What? And we, for 30 years, went and did CDs. But for the last five years or 10 years, it's been vinyl. Because when I was a kid, we had the jacket experience with the liner notes and a little bit of the story. And people could autograph it. And you had this whole big thing. And when you played it back, there was a little bit of hiss and pop. It wasn't perfect music. Now, I have a lot of music on my device. And I stream a lot of music. But more and more music that I'm buying now, I'm going back to vinyl because I want that mix of, I like the perfection or the ease of use, but I want that warm, hiss, pop, whatever. So I'm wondering if, as you look at competing, would you compete just as hard or would it be as satisfactory on stage knowing that those five computers said, Alyssa, you crushed the form and there was no human element there that said, Alyssa, you crushed the form. What do you think? I don't think I would enjoy it as much. I don't think anyone would. And I think it would be 10 times harder than what it is even now. And it's so hard now. But the so the criteria they look at, especially in bikini, is balance. Your upper body is just as developed as your lower body. And you are and you create a beautiful like X figure. So your shoulders down to your waist, which is super tiny, and then back out. Um and each girl has a different posing routine and they kind of, I mean, the poses are pretty much the same. You have a front, a side and a back pose, but each girl makes it their own. And that's what some of the greatest pros have signature marked 
some like a wink or a shrug or just little things that they do that made it their own that other girls then immediately started copying because it was so cool. Um, And I think you lose that if you've got AI judges that are just looking for that perfection of balance. And I don't think science of it, not the art. What? They look, I, I would imagine the machine, it's, it can measure the science of something, but it yes. can't measure the art of it. Exactly. It can't measure the like amazing <sighs> performance that that human just did. And right. it is it is a performance. I mean, right. you're up there, you're showing your body, yes, but you're also performing. Like you are putting your confidence out there. You are like so excited. You're showing your excitement, all of that. And without it, I think you lose, you wouldn't need to that performance aspect would just go away. Mm-hmm. It would look at your balance of your muscles and the most balanced person wins, mm-hmm. um, which is how it's supposed to go now. But they look at the entire package. How's your hair done? How like amazing do you look? How's your makeup done? If that's messed up, that's that's part of it. Mm-hmm. So I think you lose that. Is, is that still, do you get any pushback there? It seems like in culture from time to time, you know, wait a minute, you know, it, it seems like there's a lot of conversation about how, we don't celebrate the differences between male and female, celebrate the differences between um, active and inactive that somehow if you pursue this, and I'm not trying to oversimplify a complex cultural phenomenon, but do you, but do you get any pushback when people find out that you're pursuing these interests and they're like, wait, why would you do that? Why, why not? Or, or do people more celebrate what you're about? It's like 50-50. My parents, it took them a while to get on board just because... People walk into this sport and they sexualize it. They just do immediately. And it's not sexualized. I mean, we had a whole group of men and women backstage. Every single competitor backstage is in one room in their tiny outfits, men and women alike. And not once was I uncomfortable. Not once was it weird. Not one, Not once was it. It was we are also into the sport and respect the sport for what it is instead of sexualizing it. Um, but a lot of people immediately either jump on the, the wagon of – why would you do that with your body? Like, that's not cool. And then the other people are like, why would you want to do that against other people? That's not cool. That's not, but within the sport, it's so respected and it's the coolest thing to see people just like battle it out on stage. And that's another thing about bodybuilding too. The hard work and the professionals, you're, that's all done off the stage. You don't work hard on stage. If you've done the work, you'll bring home the win or you'll, you'll take a place. Um, so backstage, even I have, ex- I experienced at my first show, the biggest group of women, empowering women and people, empowering people within the bodybuilding community. People were so proud of you for making it there. And for like, we were calming each other down. I helped a girl get her earrings in cause one fell out backstage. Right. And these were girls I was competing against right next to me. I could have been like, Oh, that sucks for her but the camaraderie and the fact that like one girl looked at me right before and said we've done the work we're all winners now let's just go see who let who they like best and I loved that because I was like getting there it truly is like having the physique to even stand on stage next to the other women is is the battle getting up there and flaunting your stuff is just the victory lap um but yeah I've never experienced something so cool of people just being so kind to each other, supporting each other, people at the very in the very last in their class clapping backstage for the girl who just won. It was amazing. If somebody wants to learn more about the sport, whether it's bodybuilding or just female weightlifting or getting getting it really getting started in exercising and with the possibility of maybe taking it more seriously, 
and or nutrition, where would you suggest they start? I would highly suggest, so fitness wise, move, get in the gym, do what you like. If you like try lifting weights, look up, you can go on YouTube, you can go on Instagram. I'm biased. I like my page, but like I even, I post workouts every once a week or so just that you can swipe through. You can watch the videos. You can, you can emulate that exact workout. Um, so that's where I would start there is just, and if you type into YouTube form on any movement on any workout arm day, like you will get millions of options. So that's where I would start is, is right there is just finding a workout and doing it. If they wanted to find out, find out more information about you, where would they find it at? They would go to Instagram and they would find it at fitness with Liz, okay. fitness with a Y because Liz is with a Y. Okay. Um, and also at fitnesswithlist.com. Okay. And we'll make sure we include a link. Yeah. Well, Alyssa, thank you for coming in today. Thanks for having I me. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And um, I have seen pictures of your performance and I must say you're pretty amazing. Oh, thank spectacular. You. I couldn't believe I was like, wait, what? But it was amazing. It was a lot of hard work and I really appreciate you coming on to talk about it and um, wish you luck. And the upcoming performance. When's your next performance? Thank you. It'll be April 16th, I think, is what we're looking at. So, wow. Starting prep in January. All right. I'm excited. Let's go. Let's do it. Next if, challenge. If you've enjoyed the conversation, please like, subscribe, share, and comment. And we'll see you next time on the QTS Experience. Thanks for joining, everybody. Thanks, Alyssa. Thank you. All right. We'll see you.